This is Silver Star 1982, second period class taught by Brother John McConville of Reseda, California. His general subject is called the Second Epistle of Peter, and the title of his second class is Remembrance, Brother John McConville. You'll recall that we started in the first verse of Second Peter, first chapter, and we looked at, eventually, the attributes of God. This lovely letter from Peter to us, really, always to the people of his day, to the brethren and sisters who were about to face calamity, who were in dispersion, and also his beloved city was about to be destroyed. But the message for us is really of vital importance because we too live at the beginning of the end. And we considered the attributes of God, those seven things that we had to add to the faith that we have been given by God, making a complete spiritual package that is something that is capable of being presented to our Heavenly Father to be continued forever. Now that's where we left off. And we finished in the Ninth verse showing that he that lacketh these things is blind. That is, he's short-sighted. Can't see too far. And that's what he goes on to say. He cannot see afar off. The kingdom of God is the joy that is set before us and enduring for a short time. Those little problems that we face, those Uh, little irritating things that we blow up into mountains is only for a short time and we look forward to getting beyond this into the eternal welfare of our Heavenly Father in that kingdom age. And that's where we left off. But he says, he that lacketh these things, he's forgotten that he was purged from his sins and that he should sin no more. Shall we continue in sin? Let it not be so. This is not our lot in life. We've been apportioned something better than that. We've been given something that's much more worthwhile. And then in the 10th verse we considered, Wherefore rather, brethren, give diligence, speed, zeal. Do this with a drive, with an earnestness, to make your calling and your election sure. I want to dwell on that for just a bit. Look up 1 Corinthians, first chapter. 1 Corinthians, first chapter, in verses 26 through 29. Where he says to us, For ye see your calling, brethren, your invitation to these great and holy things, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh. Well, that gives me a little hope. Maybe I'm one of those wise men. Not many, it says. Not many wise men, but maybe I'm one of those. Not many mighty. Oh, there's some mighty ones, but not many. Not many noble. Oh, well, I still have a chance, right? I could be noble. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I find that kind of fits. I am rather foolish. 
And God hath chosen the weak things of the world. And with shoulders like that, I know I'm not very strong physically. But the weak things of the world, to confound the things which are mighty. And then he says, and the base things of the world, things which are despised. Well, the world can't stand those people who have the attributes of God. They cannot do it. Jesus Christ, who came and ministered unto his people, who did everything exactly right, who was the duplicate of his father, who manifested God to the nth degree, so much so that he could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. They did not want to stand alongside of him. They couldn't bear to have righteousness stand beside them because without him saying a word, it lowered them just that much lower and they could not stand it. And so they despised him. He was rejected of men. doesn't matter if we're despised or rejected, does it? No. We've got a much higher calling than people know about. They can't understand these things because they think carnally. They think with the flesh. Spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. And we should be spiritual. And the only place we get our spirituality is out of this book out of the word that God has given to us. Don't let that slide by. Despise. These are the things, he says in that 28th verse, which God hath chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. His future is all laid out. His plan, his purpose. And he tells us, quite without exception, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But we don't want to, do we? We have nothing to glory of. If we glory in anything, we glory in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then we can say, I can do all, three, all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. This becomes our criteria. Look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of this vocation wherein or wherewith ye are called. Walk Worthy. Now that's the message from the time of Adam right down to the time when he, we hear the words, it is finished. Walk worthy. There is no excuse for anything else. Oh, I know. We are unworthy at times. But that shouldn't be the norm in our life. That shouldn't be something we can just excuse and say, oh, the flesh made me do that. That is sin when we don't walk worthy. And that is something that has to be put down. It has to be crushed. It has to be crucified. And when we do commit such things, we condemn it in ourselves. We take it to our Heavenly Father and lay it on our altar for, that it might be consumed so that we can go on in the fullness. Walk worthy, he says. And in that same chapter at verse 4, there is one body 
one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Not two, not three, just one hope. Elpis Israel. One hope. That's where we're going. Philippians, the third chapter. Verse 14. So knowing all of this, Paul says to the Philippians, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Is it wrong to think about the prize that is offered? No, it's not wrong. Paul was pressing for the prize of the high calling. And this is a high calling. How high can you climb? Higher than anybody else in this world. The whole world is to be given to a little group of people scattered here and there around the world. to be given to them. How high can you strive? And you strive in the height of meekness, in the height of humbleness, in the height of giving, in this high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Second Timothy, first chapter, verse 9. 2 Timothy, first chapter, verse 9. God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, nothing about us that's so great, nothing about us that is so marvelous. We can't work and attain unto the things that he wants, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this is the thing. It's the purpose of God that has to be satisfied. It is the grace of God that is reflected in our lives. And the wonder of it all is that you and I are part of all of this purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the aeon began given to us. What a marvelous thing that is. This election. Romans, the ninth chapter. At the eleventh verse. Talking about election, our God's purpose is known from the beginning of time. And when he talks about these two seeds, He says in that 11th verse, For the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So Jacob and Esau were well in the mind of God before he ever started. And so were we. I feel God knows us from the beginning of time until the end. He knows the trouble you're going to have. He knows the experiences you're going to go through. He knows if you're going to fail or, or still strive or get up off. He's there to help us in every walk, every piece of endeavor that we take on if we will just rely upon him. This is our calling and election. And when we get back to Peter and he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, 
If you do these things, what things? The song, the things that he brought forth about the attributes of God, putting them into your life, making them part of your makeup so that I can see God in you. That's what we want to recognize in one another, the family likeness of our Heavenly Father as it was reflected in Jesus, so in us. There is no other attainment. We can't say, well, I want to get this far. I think I can make it up to here. No, the goal is there. And you have no right to shoot for anything less. If you shoot for something down here, halfway, you're going to get a quarter down here. You've got to go for the pinnacle. There is no other choice. Make your calling and your election sure. It's well worth the effort. Peter is pleading with his brethren and sisters, us, to do just that. And he says, if you do this, 11th verse, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. It's not just a, well, you just get in the door. You know, well, you just made it. That's not the way you're going to get in. It isn't just by the skin of your teeth you're going to make it. You're either it or you're not. And when you get invited in, it's with an abundance of entrance and you're welcomed in with open arms. No degree of, of getting through that door. An abundance of entrance into the kingdom of God. A reaching out of the arms of Jesus to welcome his beloved brethren. And what a phrase that is. And so he says in verse 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent. I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Because you see, brethren and sisters, what is it worth if all of these things are written down? If we don't remember them. you can't remember all of the advice that is given by God, all of the direction that he wants you to walk, what good is it? And he says, I will not be negligent. I won't be careless about this, assuming that you're all right. I've got to keep remembering. And I'm going to make a definite effort to do this. That remembrance is, is a word that it means to remind quietly. You know the most quiet way to make your brothers and sisters remember something? The most quiet way? Do it! You want to encourage your brothers and sisters to come to Sunday morning meeting? The best quiet way is to be there. You don't have to say a word. When the proclamation effort is, do, is put forth, you don't have to tell everybody, oh, come on out, we've got to have you there. Oh, that's a good idea. I have no problem with that. But come, follow me. And be there. Pick up the pamphlets and put them out. Put on the stickers, the labels for the mailing. And show up for your mouthpiece that's going to present the truth of God to the world. 
quietly reminding. Oh, we have to exhort one another and so much the more as the day approaches. That's what it is. Our actions dictate more than our words ever did. How do we want our children to know that it is the most proper thing to be at meeting, the most wonderful thing to be at meeting? How do they know? Because they see it in us. Remind, remind quietly what we're supposed to do. In Jude, and you'll, we'll find as we go through a little further in, in Peter, that he's quite closely aligned with Jude. In Jude, the fifth verse, he says the same thing. He says in that verse, Jude 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this, how that the Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt and afterward destroyed them that believed not. He says, you knew this, but I'm going to continually remind you about it. Do we ever get tired of being reminded? We shouldn't. Because we're, we're so easily uh, capable of forgetting. <laughs> what was, who was the brother who stood up and says, my forgetter is so much better than my rememberer? It is. We need so much to be reminded of these things. So the message is, remember, look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 61. A very low point in Peter's life. Well, let's look at verse 60. And Peter said, in the courtyard. Man, I know not what thou sayest concerning his Lord. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Thou shalt deny me thrice. Oh, how he remembered. Do we remember the word of the Lord when we sin? Or do we sear our minds so that we don't recognize the sin for what it is? Don't hide sin. Don't condone it. Don't dress it up in fancy words. When we sin, we sin. If we're a liar, admit we're a liar. It's a nasty word, but it's a word that we should be willing to say if we lie. Oh, I misunderstood. We have all kinds of words to get around it to make it sound a little better. The world does that. The world doesn't have adultery anymore. They just sleep together. Isn't that a nice word? But it's sin, and we shouldn't be afraid to remember what it is. Peter remembered when his Lord turned and looked upon him. The Lord is about to turn again and look upon each one of us face to face. Will we remember our unforgiven sin? 
Well, there's a way to get it forgiven, isn't there? There's a way to get it forgiven. Do it now. Don't wait for the Lord to turn and look at you and you remember what the Lord said. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus Christ did not leave it to chance that his ecclesia would be nurtured and brought up after his departure. He did not leave it to chance. But the Comforter, he says in 14 and 26, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, Whatsoever I have said unto you, all things... Now, we don't have the Holy Spirit. It isn't given to us that it can give us total recall, that we can remember everything that Jesus said. So how do we remember the things? Well, we get down to the book that the Holy Spirit has written. We go to the very words that were brought forth by God through the apostles. And then these things which are available to us, we let steep in our hearts and swell in our minds until nothing else can come forth. And then we remember. And then there's going to be a day in the very near future when the Holy Spirit will be given to us, that second outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when all things will be brought to your remembrance. What do you think you would remember? The Bible schools and the messages that we we involved ourselves with, the daily readings as we poured in them, or will it be that television program or those books that were filled with nothing? What is it that the Holy Spirit will bring out of your mind? Our mind now has to be filled with spiritual things, with the Word of God, so that when it is given to us, it can bring back to our remembrance those kind of things. Don't fill it with the garbage and rubbish of today. Fill it with the spiritual things. Second Timothy, second chapter and at the 14th verse. Bring to remembrance. As long as we have breath, brethren and sisters, we should be reminding ourselves, one the other, of our high and holy calling, of the things of God, of the things that will give us life. And when Paul wrote to Timothy to help him in his bishopric, what does he say? When you talk to people, he says in your meeting, of these things that he has just encouraged him about, charge them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Don't strive about words. Get on with the things of the Spirit, to the high and holy things, and do the will of God. Fill your life with doing. Anybody can fight. Then he says, study to show thyself. What well, the word study, I think we all know, is, is to be diligent. That's that same idea of with zeal going forth, showing thyself approved unto God. A workman who needeth not to be, dis be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't do that unless you allow the Holy Spirit word to enter into your heart that you compare Scripture with Scripture. And he says that a little later on in Peter. 
Titus chapter 3, verse 1. He says, put them in mind. Remind them. It's all through the Bible. Remind them. A king of Israel, when he took office, what did he do? He wrote out word for word the law. Why? That he might impress upon his mind God's law, God's way, God's word. Wouldn't that be a wonderful exercise for a new candidate? Write out God's holy word. No, it takes too long. It does not take too long. We do so many things that take so long. Take the two hours a night or whatever it is that you spend in front of television and just start writing. When you want to impress something on your mind, what do you do? You write it down. It doesn't matter whether you read it again even, but you write it down and it helps to really instill it into your mind. Now, I don't care whether you write out the Word of God or not. Write it in your heart. Don't get so excited. But write it in your heart. Let it be there so it's for recall anytime you want it. It's the only thing in this life worthwhile. He says, put them in mind in Titus 3 and 1 to be subject to principalities. This is an age of rebellion. They rebel against anything. You serve breakfast at the wrong time. You don't like it. You should get it in bed. This is an age of rebellion. They don't listen to anything. The principalities and powers, the magistrates are put there by God to help control the evil. Oh, I know they're evil themselves, but God uses evil to control evil. If Nebuchadnezzar could be an ambassador for God, so can a Hitler. So can a president or a prime minister. And they are. The only time we refuse to do what they tell us is if it's contrary to the will of our God. And most of us are privileged to live in a country where we can do the will of God uninhibited. There are brethren, you know, who go right to jail when they're 18 in this world. Have no choice. They go right to jail when they're 18. For two or three years. We're not called upon to do that. Most of us. Obey the magistrates and be ready to every good work. Remind them. And so this is what we do. We don't want to be negligent or careless about our high and holy calling. Look at Hebrews, the second chapter. And we want verse... And he says to us, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That's that same word, that negligence, that carelessness. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto, them, unto us by them that heard? And we are the results of all of that. Having not seen these things, we have these things left for us and we believe them with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
They were the first things, the first principles. They were the first inkling of what is right and what is wrong, what God doth require of us, what God is doing with the world, and what our part of it is. And oh, our part is so great. It's the greatest part. It is that which is going to be elevated to a oneness with the Father. But if we neglect so great salvation, how shall we escape? We won't. Eighth chapter of Hebrews, ninth verse. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, talking about the Israelites, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not. They were careless. That's the word. They continued not. They neglected my covenant. And I regarded them not, says the Lord. Were we led by the hand of God? Out of the darkness of Egypt? Why, of course we are. Led by the hand of God, he takes us and he brings us forth out of the darkness into the light. Into a new covenant relationship with our Heavenly Father. And he gave himself, his own life. Jesus died on the cross that we might be led out. Our Savior. How can we neglect that kind of a covenant? There is no way we can neglect it without having God not regard us. That's a terrible few words. I regarded them not. We want God to know us. And he says back in Peter, the first chapter, the twelfth verse, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. See, we're not hearing anything new, are we? I don't think I'm saying anything that's new to anyone. This is the same story that we learned when we heard of the word of God. And it's the same thing we want to continue in. Though you know them. But he says, I want you to be established in the present truth. Though we have the truth, brethren and sisters. We don't have to search elsewhere for it. We have the truth. It is that way of life that can give life evermore. We have that. It is present with us. Now be established. And that word established means to be set fast. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Look at James, the fifth chapter, eighth verse. James 5, verse 8. Be ye also patient. That was one of those attributes, wasn't it? Be also patient. 
establish set fast your hearts why for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh if he could say that then how much more now can we say that for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh anybody here think it's going to be a long time off the coming of the Lord draweth nigh set fast your hearts on the things of God nothing else is of import set fast your heart the 13th verse he says yea and I think it meet that word meet is, means just I think it's just right the same word that's used over in the second chapter at the seventh verse when it speaks about lot and delivered just lot righteous lot in fact it's the same word in the eighth verse for that righteous man it's all the same word yea I think it meet just right as long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as I have breath, as long as I have life within me, I think it's right, he says, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And that's, if you remember nothing else, remember remembrance. Remember the things of God when you get up in the morning, when you're halfway through the day, when you come home in the evening, before you go to bed, remember the things of God. There is nothing else that should fill your mind. Those are the things that are lovely and pure and of good reports because they talk not about this life, oh, it's mentioned, but in a degrading way. But we remember the joy that is held out before us even now so that we have brethren and sisters and mothers and fathers all around the world who are encouraging us that we have homes not that we've built that we would willingly give up because we have homes all around the world that I can stay in and feel just as comfortable as if I was in my own place oh what a blessing is heaped upon us now as well as then remember what do I have to do to stir you up Oh, I've tried some pretty radical things in my time, and I've been reprimanded for it. I said, well, I'm not supposed I have. But it's not because one wants to be different. It's not because one wants to be uh, looked up to. It's because one wants to live with you eternally. Wouldn't it be terrible to take the closest people that you love and walk up to Jesus Christ. And some of us go one way and some another. That would be terrible. Stir me up if you can. Shake me by the shoulders if that's what's required. Get me into the kingdom of God. Brethren and sisters, we need each other. We need to know that the word of God is real. We need, we need to be reminded that these are the things that are going to give eternal life to us. We don't always agree on, on methods and approach, but that doesn't matter. So long as we agree that this word is the only thing of any value, that this is the thing that we have to maintain. Well, 
he goes on to say, knowing shortly in the 14th verse, I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. And remember, he did show him at the end of the Gospel of John that he must die shortly, 21st chapter. And he was wondering, well, what about John? He said, don't worry about John. If he's going to live forever, what's that to you? He said, now Peter recognizes his own life is the only thing he has to worry about. You know, although all these deny thee, I will not. Is that right? Before the cock crow, Peter now recognizes it's only his own life he can control, but he's going to stir up as much as he can. And he says, I know I'm going to have to put off this my tabernacle, this mortal flesh that is nothing but a pain in any case. Gives me nothing but a struggle, I know that. He says, but I will endeavor. I will with diligence, that same ideas in the 10th verse give diligence, I will with diligence I will endeavor with zeal, with all the fiber in me, that you might be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And he did. He wrote these letters, and we've got them. Dare we not read them twice a year at least? And we do if we do our readings, don't we? We get these letters into our minds again, twice a year, if we continue with that fabulous reading chart we've got. Oh, and you'll read it more than that because once you, you are aware of this marvelous message, you can't keep from going back to it and looking at it, reading the whole thing at one time rather than piecemeal. It's such a, and it's a personal thing to us. Moreover, I will endeavor that you might be able, after my decease, now that's Exodus. He was going out after my decease. In Luke, the ninth chapter, you know, at the 31st verse, that's the word that Jesus used. Ninth chapter of Luke, verse 31. It was the transfiguration. In the 31st verse it says, who appeared in glory, that was Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. They appeared in glory and spake of Christ's decease. Christ's exodus. He was leaving the land of Egypt. And where was he going? To the promised land, to the right hand of his father. That's what they were talking about, his decease. But even though it was a go going from here, it was a going to God. He left here, but he went to God. It was a decease. Peter knew that. Even though after my decease, the next moment I'm aware I'll be with my Lord spoke of his decease so that after my decease just after my Lord was also deceased had an exodus from Egypt you will remember you might have these then 
in verses 16 and through 18, he talks about the transfiguration. So see, we're not too far off, are we? He was lifting those words right out of that gospel. No, the Holy Spirit was just advising him, causing him to be inspired to write down those things which he wanted to help us, to stir up our pure minds, that we might be reminded that we're not built on fables. We're built upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he then, in verses 16 through 18, talks about the transfiguration. For he says in that 16th verse, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. No, that's not our following. There's a lot of people following in the world today. We all follow something. We all follow someone, somehow, some way. There's very few who are really out in front being alone. Very few. Now, what are we following? Not cunningly devised fables. Lots of fables around. Pearly streets or gates and golden streets. What a fable. It's a fable. You know, you die and you lay on the operating table and you waft away to somewhere. Millions of people believe that. Go to a wheel and spin it and get all those prayers. Can you imagine that? Fables. The church lifted up while trial and tribulation is on the earth. And the problem with those fables is they're cunningly devised. They're not just fables. You know, you can handle Goldilocks and the three bears. <laughs> you can handle that very easily. But when we know that the scriptures speak about salvation and those with the cunningly devised fables come along with talking of the salvation of Jesus Christ and change it just a bit. And that bit takes you in different paths until you're miles apart. Cunningly devised fables. Making you reliant upon something that is not true. Oh, let's remind one another, brethren and sisters, we're not following cunningly devised fables. The truth has been laid out for us in the scriptures. We have an heritage that, been, that we've been given that has been laid out for us that we can follow in the paths of understanding. The brethren who have gone before have given us so much help. And just to ignore that help is, is a crime in itself. Remind ourselves, we've not followed cuttingly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of, of it, says Peter. Eyewitnesses. I'm not telling you secondhand, says Peter. Well, you and I have to talk about secondhand. But we've got the apostle Peter. And we have the like precious faith that he had. And he says, I saw him. Well, when did he see him in power? and in glory at the transfiguration. He was transformed right in front of him with a glory and a whiteness that was brighter than any white, fuller's white could whiten. He saw it. 
see it? Sure you do through the mind's eye of faith. If you're looking at the right thing, you see it. And that joy that is up there, you keep before you at all time, and you can walk through the muck and the mire. You don't notice the dirt if you can keep your eyes up here and walk steadily toward it. Toward it. And Peter is trying to remind, look, I saw it, he said. This is not cunningly devised. We were eyewitnesses of our Lord's majesty on the mount. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You want that to be said of you? Sure you do. Can be, no? There was a time when it was said of us, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased as we were resurrected from the waters of baptism. There was a time when we were pure, washed clean from all sins, just as our Lord with, with the flesh that still wanted to go to the grave and do its own thing, but we were purified from sin. So for a moment at any time we were as our Lord and Master in the earth and his mortal days. But we defile it with sin. But we can keep coming back to that state of being like Christ if we will just recognize sin for what it is. Don't hide it. Recognize it. Lift it up and put it on the platform of Christ. And he'll take it away. And we can stand in that pureness of the righteousness of God. Very shortly, from the glory of God, from the right hand of the Father, that glory will descend. Coming back once more to the tabernacle, to its house, we'll be standing there. And we'll hear the welcome words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and we too will participate in a transfiguration. Never to be changed back. Never having to revert to the flesh again to go down and say, oh, this generation, you won't believe unless signs are given to you. No, we'll be staying just as Jesus Christ is now. For now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Never to change from that again. Oh, I look for that day when I don't have to worry about my desires and wants getting out. And they always do. All oh, that day is coming and you can say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Is there any other hope that's in our breast? Throw it out. This is the thing that we want. Make sure that it's the full thing we want. And this voice which came from heaven in the 18th verse, he says, when we heard, or we heard it, when we were with him in the holy mount. What mount do you think you'll stand on when you hear those words? 
Well, I don't care what mount you think it is. I happen to think it's shiny eye. But I want to hear those words on the holy mount. Peter's own description of the transfiguration. But he says, that's not the only thing that I want to remind you of. I know I'm an eyewitness of this. I've seen these things. He says, but we have also, he says in the 19th verse, a more sure word of prophecy. Something that you can stake your life on. That word there is logos, isn't it? We have a logos of prophecy. What's logos? Well, you know it in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have a sure God of prophecy, the Word of prophecy. His mind put forth for us, it's sure. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be moved. But where do you find it? Does it come to you in a revelation like Paul's? You have many revelations above my... No. It comes to you from the result of everything that has been done for us. And that sure word of prophecy is not something that can be lightly set aside. That book is full of God's word. That book is so, so convincing if you will just allow it to talk to you. But you can't do it if you keep it shut. Its mouth won't pour forth the wealth, the riches that are enveloped in it. We have the sure logos. of prophecy. But no value, you know, unless you see it. And he says, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. It doesn't just mean to read it. It means to heed it. Pay attention to it. And, you know, prophecy isn't just something that tells you about the future. Oh, it does that. Prophecy tells you what to do about the future. It tells you what to do today because of what's faced in the past. Now, we don't follow blindly, do we? We see what God has left for us and the direction we should go and, and what has happened to people who have deviated from that path and what has happened to people who have followed it. That's what prophecy is. It's a doing, it's a living, it's a filling your life with anticipation of the things that are shortly to come to pass upon the face of the earth. What is it that you dwell upon mostly? What is it that fills your mind? You know, when you're young, you think you've got so much in front of you, you've got nothing in front of you if you don't have the Word of God. Young men die. Young women don't grow to be old women. Oh, there are some of us who do, but youth is no guarantee that we'll see anything in the future. The Word of God is. And so we seek early the word of God. We instill it into our children regardless of what they think or say. We don't give them the option. We love our children. We love them so much that we're going to say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And if we have to reprimand them, if we have to chastise them, we love them as much as God loves us and we accept that chastisement as part of the responsibility of parents and we do it. Hurts me more than you know. We don't feel the sting. 
we feel the pain of, of sin, not only in our own lives, but in the children that are the heritage of God. We lead them in a way, whatever it takes to this prophecy, to let them know that we do well to take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. And there is no other light. The first chapter of John, he was the light that came into the world. John the Baptist came as the herald of that light that they might see it. And he's showing Galilee and for what? Chorazin was going to be buried down to the lowest depths because they didn't heed the things that our Lord spoke about, the things that our Lord did. Well, where do we sit? Where do we stand? To take these sure things into ourselves and as a light, let them light up our life. And we have to let that reflect to everybody around us. That's a marvelous thing, you know, that you could be a little flashlight in some place where you live. And somebody doesn't stumble over that rough terrain. You can be that for somebody. Take heed unto that light that shines in a dark place. Just a little light, I know. Greatest light in the world, but it's just a little light now. But very shortly, the whole world is going to be engulfed in total darkness, a darkness that can be felt. Because the little bit of light is going to be taken to the sun of righteousness, to be incorporated in that rising orb for the glory of the world when the darkness of night will be dispelled for, for good until the day dawns, when Jesus Christ is again shown, until the day rise, the day star, arise in your hearts. Take heed. What is the day star? Well, you find it in Revelation, don't you? The day star rises, Jesus Christ arises in your hearts. Your heart is wicked, it says, desperately wicked, full of deceit. Who can know it? I don't want to know it. It is not worth knowing. I want to replace it with Jesus Christ. So that it fills it, pushes everything else out, and causes one to really see that the direction I'm going is toward my Father. That's what should be in our hearts. That day star arises in our hearts. I know it's a difficult endeavor. I know that we have to struggle to, to keep pushing out other things to make him fill it. But just as we said about the word, just as we said about the Spirit filling our being, so Jesus Christ will be fully manifested in us for all to see in the very near future. Remember these things. For God loves you and has left them for you. Thank you, Brother John.
we now have recess for a refreshment break until 11 a.m. <laughs>